This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Ann Jones, and this is Off Track. Today we're headed to Windy Harbour. It's an isolated community in Western Australia on the most southwesterly point of the continent. Windy, as it's known to the locals, has just 20 permanent residents. Bit wild and woolly at times. And one of the mainstays is professional fisher Judy Dittmer. Being out on the ocean, nobody bother you, but, uh, and catching the fish. Yeah, the thrill of catching the fish. Judy arrived in 1971 and has never left. So what was it that made Judy seek out a life of isolation right on the edge of the continent? Fiona Pepper caught up with her to find out. Windy Harbour feels almost completely abandoned when I arrive on a cold, wet Sunday in winter. I follow a sandy track beside a row of fishing shacks built on the dunes. Judy's cottage is the very last one. So we're standing at your front door. Can you describe what patch of coast is straight out front? Just a windy bay. Yeah. And um, Sandy Island. Sandy Island. And there's a big front that's coming in or has mm-hmm. come in. Had one yesterday and this one's starting to crank up. This is the rain that comes before it. And then we'll get the bit of really thundering lightning yesterday. Mm. So no fishing for a bit? No, not for this girl anyway. (laughs) Keep the fire going. Yeah. Took a bit of convincing to get to this point. Judy is a self-confessed recluse, even in comparison to the others living in Windy. I think most of the people that are here, that sort of, you know, they've got a few friends and that's how it is. Not so much me, I'm a bit of a loner. You keep to yourself? Ah, uh, most of the time, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mix with the other the two neighbours, the fishermen, of course. But most of the time I do my own thing. As the daughter of a lighthouse keeper, maybe Judy was destined to have this type of life. On lighthouses we were isolated and, I mean, Clips Island off Albany... We got a boat once a month in the winter if we were lucky. If the weather was rough, we didn't get a boat with any supplies. So we did a lot of fishing. That's where I probably got my taste for fishing. And, um, yeah, we had to go and catch fish and we had to grow vegetables and there was a couple of billy goats on the island. I remember that. The family was so resourceful, Judy even remembers her dad making the furniture. We used to get a lot of uh, wood wash ashore and uh, he made a heck of a lot of furniture. I've still got the odd cabinet around the place that he's made, you know. So from the age of three, Judy lived on lighthouses from Albany in the southwest to Cape Don in the Northern Territory and finished up on Rottnest Island just off Perth. I loved it. My toes were absolutely kicked to death because I never wore shoes. But I used to spend my time fighting with the skinks and um, 
they were the enemy and I was the cowboy and I'd shoot them down and then I'd race around and be the, be the baddie dying and that sort of thing. Did had my own entertainment apparently for everybody else. No, I loved it. It was great life. Judy moved to Windy Harbour when she was 24. And now in her mid-70s, she's still out on the ocean working as a professional fisher and living alone in her modest fishing cottage. The reason she chose this life could have been her lighthouse upbringing, or perhaps it can be traced back to something else. You know, Vietnam. I wouldn't accept the fact that it changed me, but it definitely did. You know, it made the difference, and I sort of reverted back to wanting to be on my own, spend time on my own. Back in 1971, Judy was working in a Brisbane hospital as a theatre nurse. One of my friends came rushing in one day and said, I'm going to Vietnam, do you want to come? And I said, yes. <laughs> so finished up in Vietnam with the civilian team for six months. Judy was assigned to a civilian hospital just outside what was then Saigon. It was noisy. It was dirty. It was dusty. Oh, <laughs> just blew me out the water. And there was banging and crashing and guns going off all night and day and oh <laughs> I tell you it did it just blew me out of the water after a week I didn't hear any of it <laughs> I didn't hear the choppers coming and going after a week and I remember when we left and we had a New South Wales team came up to replace us and we were up on the right on the very top of the quarters we had a pad there we used to sit and at night time and watch the fireworks because the Americans would start bombing out at night time with the artillery and it'd get banging and crashing and fireworks going everywhere and the New South Wales girls were jumping and leaping and going on and, <laughs> and it suddenly hit me was how complacent you came with it all we had the odd soldier but and they were Vietnamese soldiers but most of them were the civilians and they were civilians that had been stood on mines or um, been, you know, had bomb dropped on them or... Yeah, a lot of shrapnel wounds. Um, a lot of the stuff I saw I'd never see back here. After her six-month service, Judy says she struggled when she got back to Australia. One of the things I found... I found difficult, I don't know about the other girls, was you got home, all your friends are at home and they've been going on with their normal life and they say to you, oh, good day, Jude, good to see you, glad you're back. Um, so-and-so's got married, such and such is in charge of this hospital, someone else has done psych, someone else is doing something else. Didn't want to know. Because, let's face it, we had Vietnam day and night, 24 hours for six months. They had it probably for 10 minutes on the radio at night. End of story. So they, yeah, they weren't really interested. And that's when that feeling comes with, oh, I really need to get back on the plane and go back. Now, I can't explain that. I think most soldiers had it and probably some of my mates had it. The other thing I think that influenced me was the fact that back here in Australia, wherever I was working, I was pandering to affluent Australians. 
Now, I know there's, there's a lot of poor people in Australia now and there's a lot of um, people that are homeless and that sort of thing, but at that stage, we, were, we really were the lucky country. But, yeah, the, the fact that we were working in a um, Vietnamese hospital, provincial hospital in Benoit, um, and it was just basic. We didn't even have sheets on the operating table half the time. We had a few drapes and a few sterile packs and we're just doing dealing one after the other with these people who just come out of the paddy fields that are all blown up from standing on mines and bullet wounds. And Judy says there was an expectation that on her return she'd get straight back into nursing. At first, you know, Mum sort of said, oh, you'll be right, you know, have a good break and you'll be right, you go back. Mum expected me to go back to, you know, hire things in theatre and all that sort of thing, which I could have done. But, um, yeah, as time went on, I just, no, I can't do it. So that's when she decided to come to Windy Harbour. How important was it being back in nature? I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in nature, you know. The ocean out there, I respect the ocean. I've got a lot of respect for the ocean. Um, And everything you see around you, you know. I mean, Broke Inlet, first thing in the morning, because we go out just on daylight or just before daylight, freezing cold. I mean, got got all the gear on, but it's still freezing cold. And it's flat calm. The sun's coming up across the water. It is absolutely magnificent. That's life. That's what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. In 71, when Judy first arrived in Windy Harbour, she started fishing with a local retired fisherman. I sort of G'd him up because yeah, I could see he wasn't finished with his fishing. He loved it, you know. So he, uh, he had a Bondwood boat, it was about 16 foot long. Um, and that's what we started fishing in, out of here. I got him, I stirred him up and got him going and he got me into the fishing. Once he got me into the fishing, I was hooked. Yeah, the thrill of catching the fish. Judy continued working part-time as a nurse in nearby Northcliffe. But in terms of her fishing career, she started out as a deckhand until she got her skipper's ticket. And what did people think of you choosing that profession? My mum thought I was mad. (laughs) But she backed me. Um, She gave me, you know, she... um, financed me for my first boat and I paid her back, first one I had built. And then I was out on my own. I um, created my business and upgraded my boat and so on and so forth. I don't know what other people think of me, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't really care. They're they're allowed to have their opinions. If they think I'm mad, well, I'm mad. (laughs) I don't think I'm mad, but who knows. So what was involved? Would you go out every morning? Yes, but you're limited here because you can only go out when the weather's good. And we probably only get... I mean, it's quiet at the moment, but it wasn't yesterday. Um, We probably only get two or three days, and then you've just got to... In the summertime, we've got the howling sou'easter. So, you know, you can go out, you'll probably get half a day in, but for us, we really like to have full days if we can. And so you tend to hang out and hang out and it gets rougher and rougher and it's not a very good trip home, but you have to sort of try and get two or three days in so you can get enough fish to send away. And what are you catching? 
uh, mostly at the moment the the professionals are getting the line fishermen are getting Jewfish um, snapper, pink snapper, nana guy, which they now call king snapper or red snapper or something, cod, harpooka, yeah, just just the general line fish. Um, groper, they get gro- quite a lot of groper. These days, Judy works alongside a decky, but for around 15 years, when she was a little younger, she was deep sea fishing on her own, about 14 nautical miles off the coast. It's a challenge. I was working drop lines, so I was pretty busy most of the time. And the sensible thing is, you know, um, I always wore a knife on myself. I never allowed myself to go anywhere outside of the safety region. I had high side rails. Everyone grizzled, but the men particularly grizzled about getting over the side rails because they were pretty high and put your leg over. It was a bit awkward. Um, I always had them above my waist so that if I got thrown against the sides, I'd be up against it. And I usually had a harness on anyway. Have you had some a few hairy times on the boat when you were out there on your own? I've had hairy times when I've not been out there on my own. Yes. And anyone that tells you they haven't had a fright out there is telling you lies because everybody gets a fright at some stage. Yeah, I've had a few close ones. I had one... I was on my own that day. I was coming back from down east and um, the swell must have been picking up and I was trying to clean fish. It was in the days when we used to clean fish and steer the boat at the same time and watch where I was going, which you tend to do when you're on your own. If you want to get your fish clean before you get home. And yeah, a little breaker stood up alongside of me, unfortunately. Washed the deck all right, but didn't remove anything. And then another day I was going out to pull crow pots and went through the passage out here and um, got past the lighthouse and in between the lighthouse and the flat top rock out there, there's a passage through. Just before I got there, there's a fairly big wave comes in and breaks. And unbeknownst to me, the swell was picking up, wasn't it? I didn't realise. Didn't look like it was picking up. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> stood up, feathered, and uh, the decky's out on the deck. And he, I just managed to get, I half got the boat around because you've got to turn around to go over it rather than be side onto it. And the wave, the wave washed the deck. He's hanging on to the reel, the winch. He's got hanging on to the winch. He's saying, what was that? I said, never mind about that. Look at this one. (laughs) And the second one just took all the gear off the deck and he's still hanging on to the winch. (laughs) And where were you? In the buckets. I was on the steering wheel, thanks, (laughs) in the cabin. But, um, yeah, no, I just sang out to him, hang on, so he did. There's always a bit of a... Yeah, a bit of adrenaline rush every now and again. Mm. Coming through the passage one day, my steering went, didn't it? <laughs> Hydraulic steering decided to go, and I'm coming through the passage with waves breaking both sides of me. So out onto the... I always had um, a manual one on steering wheel on the deck on a chain, which if something like that happened, so I just jumped out and got on that. But it's not a nice feeling. You've got to kind of weigh up the risks. Yes, yes. Well, I do. You know, some of the guys, young blokes, foolhardy, not we've got many young blokes left, but some of them probably 
it doesn't worry them, but I do. Mm. You know, you get to the stage where, well, I did. Every morning I got up and I was going fishing. I was going fishing, but was I coming home tonight? And that's always in your mind. And particularly you've got a decky because you've got to think about the decky mm. and you've got to think about their safety. So you have a respect for them and the ocean? I do, very much. Yep, very much have a respect for the ocean, that's for sure. What is that that builds that respect? Oh, the knowledge that it can wipe you out if you're not careful. Hi. Okay, no worries. While I'm in Windy Harbour, I go and say hello to Judy's longtime neighbour and fellow fisher, Alan Miles. So, how long have you known Judy for? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't really know. Probably 30 or 40 years, I suppose, thereabouts. Yeah. At, um, I think it's, um, you know, people like Judy and they're not recognised for the importance that they did in, as far as developing the fishing industry in, in, in this area of the south coast. I like them to the uh, pioneers that came out and started the agricultural things and one thing or another. But they don't seem to get that recognition. Yeah, she was one of the first. I think when she, she first started off, of course, she, she went overseas and, and was part of defending the country. And uh, when she came back, she went fishing with uh, one of the older fishermen. From that, she developed a yen to go fishing. And uh, to fish on the south coast for anyone's not easy. Um, there's no harbour facilities or anything like that. And uh, from time to time, she's been cray fishing and all sorts of things, which uh, are um, normally construed as men's work so uh, she's really been a pioneer as far as women are concerned I guess she was a lady in a men's world so to speak but everyone respected her for that you know and and um, ever anyone was in trouble she was always there first to help and if ever she was in trouble so were they it was a sort of close-knit community so no I think she was accepted once she established herself she was accepted as part of the industry and and played a big role in uh, developing some of the fisheries So for now, Judy is waiting for a break in the weather before heading back out fishing. But at 76, I ask her what the future holds. Oh, I just keep um, working in the estuary. I wouldn't um, stay if I didn't have such a lovely view and it's quiet and I can do my own thing most of the time and, yeah, don't have a lot to do with people. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, yeah, I'd like to keep perhaps doing another year or two. I'm realistic enough to know that, you know, yeah, I've, I've got a crook shoulder and crook back and I've had one hip done and, you know, you've got to be realistic about it. And I know I've got to move eventually from here because, you know, it'll get too hard for me to do all these things I do. I change um, oil on the motor and deal with motors and things like that and won't be able to still chop all my own wood and do my fires and... So I still won't um, be able to do that sort of thing. but And I'm realistic enough to know that I can't sort of do that. But while I'm still fit and able to do it, I'm quite happy to do it, you know.
Judy Dittmer, The Life of a Fisherwoman, was produced by Fiona Pepper. And I'm Ann Jones. Fiona's been doing an excellent job making programs for us all while I'm away from off track, mostly anyway, filming for ABC TV. And if you loved that windswept and rainy feel of Windy Harbour, then maybe you'd like to taste test some of my new podcasts. It's called Nature Track, and it's big, long recordings of nature from all around Australia. This one's rainy too, and in WA, but instead of the southwest, it's in Waluna, right on the edge of the sandy desert. I recorded this one morning just as a storm rolled through and got absolutely saturated, but not cold. And the birds, they just seem to adore that refreshing rain in the heat.
Nature Track is the name of the new podcast. It's like the older, more mature, longer, quieter version of Off Track. And you can find Nature Track on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll be making some new episodes of that soon too. It's perfect for using to drown out your neighbour's noise or put the kids to sleep or just to feel like you're somewhere else. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.